Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 163rd episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. And your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to join us, hopefully not on a three-hour audio expedition, uh, through Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and Mission Impossible Fallout, the final part of our Impossible Podcasting Force miniseries, all in anticipation of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Yes, coming out later this month. So yes, we're in our final stretch of Mission Impossible rewatches. And a little programming note, we're not getting out of the spy game just yet. Next week, we begin our Keep It Secret, Keep It Safe, Secret Invasion uh, review series, which will be interrupted of course, by our Indiana Jones Dial of Destiny and our Dead Reckoning Part 1 reviews. Uh, also going to see some lineup changes. Myself, Amanda, and Al will all be in various states of travel throughout the month of July. I'm missing my first episode in three and a half years. So Al's missing, you know, just his normal amount of episodes he always misses. So it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks for us, guys. But let's get into the show. Joining me, as always, she is the human Star Wars encyclopedia. We are hoping she does not go into a rogue nation thanks to really wild Texas internet. Amanda Rivas, welcome back. We'll see. And thank you for having me. And we'll see where I wind up. I mean, it was Ghost Protocol last week. Now it's going to be rogue. It might be rogue nation. You just, you never know. But that's the fun. That's the fun. Let's hope we don't talk about any uh, European uggos on this one as well. Uh, He's uh, he's rolling up his sleeves and pumping his fists. He's grown a mustache for this podcast, and he's actually here, and he's so excited. He texted me almost every day telling me what he was watching for this podcast. He is the, in theory, managing editor of thepopbreak.com, Al Manorino. Welcome back, sir. Is the grow a mustache a line from Fallout because he just grows a mustache while he pumps his fists? He does. It's just like... And it's, it's just to get the facial hair out. He actually had no. He gains facial hair. He does. You have to watch it again. He literally gains a beard. He only he, he like has the mustache and he gains a beard. So that's how masculine. It's, it's he the most. Exactly. It's the best. It's the best uh, use of editing I've ever seen in film history. And we need to talk about it for six hours, ladies and gentlemen. If you thought Amanda Rivas was thirsty for Harrison Ford. Wait till we get to Henry Cavill. You know what? I'm not the only one. That's all no, I'm going to say. You're a He's human. the king of our nation. Of you're not. It's like happy pride him. and we are acknowledging our tribal chief, Henry yeah. Cavill. Uh, <laughs> and finally, it's been far too long since the commander of our hearts has been on a podcast after you know going 63 straight weeks of being on and asked at the very last second. We actually asked him in advance, which is wild, and we're actually being considerate this time. TK42 Wolf's dad, Ben Murkison. What's going on? Hey, thanks. Yeah, appreciate the advance notice. This was yeah, uh, this was very different, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, after we insulted John Woo so horribly on episode two, and I, I was hoping you would join us because, like, you know, yeah, we did. Listen, I, really. could, I could take the MI2 slander, but when I heard Broken Arrow get dropped. Oof, I Listen, not from rough. us. Not yeah. from us. You yeah. can thank uh, our friend Alex for that one. So, yeah. All right, guys, it's time to get into things. Oh, Ben, before we start, I just want to take your temperature and on your hype for the movie we're watching all of a sudden in, in advance of, 
Dead Reckoning Part One. You know, Amanda and Al and I have all spoken about how hyped we are. How about you? Very, very much so. I've already bought my tickets, like so. I'm well, well in advance. I don't think I've done advance tickets like for anything. Uh, so yeah, this is exciting. Uh, I'm going to be there opening night, which is a Tuesday, apparently, for me to be able to get there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, not how can you not be with the marketing that they did behind that movie already with uh, the stunts and you basically already got that feature ad. So yeah, definitely their opening night. Can't wait. And watching all these movies again in preparation for it was fantastic. Hey there, this is Josh. And this is Aaron. And we're the hosts of the Anniversary Brothers podcast. The podcast where we talk about the anniversaries of your favorite TV shows and movies. Hey Aaron, what do Muppet Treasure Island, Arrow, and the birds have in common? Uh, they all feature bird puppets. Close. They're all movies and shows we've covered on the pod. Find our film podcast on the Pop Break Today feed. And find our TV podcast on the Pop Break TV feed. Thanks. Bye. Hey, I'm Allie Nelson, and I love romantic thrillers. And I'm Tyler McCarthy, and I don't know much about romantic thrillers. Together, we host Not Couple Goals, where we discuss the best and, let's face it, worst in romantic thriller cinema. We cover classics like Wild Things and Cruel Intentions. And newer releases like The Boy Next Door and Deep Water. Sometimes it's just us. Other times we're joined by great guests, including some of your pop break favorites. So, if like me, romantic thrillers are your guilty pleasure. Or you were raised on Lifetime movies like me. Join us every other Thursday on the Pop Break Today feed. Are you a diehard Marvel zombie who compulsively rewatches every movie and TV show you can get your hands on from the House of Ideas? Or are you a new or lapsed Marvel fan looking for an excuse to finally catch up on what your buddies have been going on and on and on about for as long as you've known them? Then folks, do we have the show for you. Head over to the Pop Break Today podcast feed on all your favorite platforms to check out myself, Phil Podkin, and my co-host, Marcus on Bill versus the MCU, where we review every single installment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Along with a journey around the Marvel multiverses, where we check in on MCU adjacent content like Netflix's The Defender Saga, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Fox's X-Men franchise, and so much more. New episodes premiere the second Tuesday of every month on thepopbreak.com and the Pop Break Today podcast feed. Let's get into what we're now calling the Macquarie era, because this is when Christopher Macquarie starts. I just pronounced his name two different ways. <laughs> Let's talk about 2015's Rogue Nation. Of course, we get into our first segment, which is called The Knocklist, where we talk about the returning and uh, brand new cast members. Of course, returning to Rogue Nation would be Tom Cruise, obviously, as Ethan Hunt, Ving Rames as Luther Stickle, Simon Pegg as Benji Dunn and Jeremy Renner as William Brandt. Now, joining the cast this time is Rebecca Ferguson as Ilsa Faust, Sean Harris as our villain, Solomon Lane, Alec Baldwin as the new uh, kind of antagonistic governmental figure, Alan Huntley, Simon McBurney, who you've seen in a million things, he plays Atlee, the head of MI6. Plus, we get some cameos from Tom Hollander, who you'll remember from so many things, uh, Zhang uh, Jingchu and Jens Hutland, they play their, you know, international actors of fame and renown that, you know, people from those countries know. 
So guys, let's talk about how this is. Hey, listen, funny. This is the first time we're bringing back an IMF team intact. Uh, how did you guys feel about this? Like, usually we have uh, some moving pieces here. Of course, you can make the argument Ilsa is going to, you know, she's like adjacent to the team. She she is goes on an adventure with with uh, Benji and Ethan at one point, which we'll definitely be talking about. But full team intact. Ben, since you are our special guest here, you're our special boy. What did you think about the IMF team returning intact for the first time in franchise history? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I personally do like when new members are joining the team, you know, each film. Um, and we kind of get that like a little bit with Elsa, as you talked about. But I think when you get new people coming in and fresh blood, it gives you more of a sense of how vast like this team is for IMF. So when you kind of just get the same operatives coming back, it's more consolidated and tight knit. It doesn't seem like as, as big of like there's hundreds of operatives out there that are doing these types of missions. But at the same time, it's hard to not come back to this core group because we're going to take out of there. You can't can't lose any of those guys. And I'm excited that they're still in all these moving forward. So a little different. It would have been cool if they added somebody else in, but they get away with that because they got Elsa. Al, what about you? How about, uh, do you think, you, I mean, obviously you and I are big Peg fans. Um, what do you think about them bringing back the team for a full run here? Well, so they technically didn't bring back the full team, right? Because Paula Patton's not in it, right? She wasn't That's in right. this one. Um, right. Now, obviously she's, she's not necessarily missed because uh, Rebecca Ferguson comes in and just takes over the franchise uh, in my opinion because she's a phenomenal yeah uh, but I loved having Benji and um, Ving Rhames back Luther I was just saying Ving Rhames um, I love having them back I don't necessarily because like, re-watching these films just started picking up apart a little more I don't necessarily love that like he literally is the other tech guy like there's two tech guys and his other job is to get like held hostage and kidnapped especially in um, the other movie that we're going to talk about but they trade places i think they both do um yeah it's just kind of weird that there's two people doing that role they do the same thing in the fast movies too where they have um never seen them couldn't tell you yeah i'm not gonna get into details but they basically added another tech person and then made someone who was not a tech person at all a tech person uh so it's interesting i do love it's that Ving rames is it Ving rames it's not it's ludicrous <laughs> no. oh you know what i said big rames and i meant to say vin diesel oh god no. damn it i don't think he knows how i don't think dom dominic toretto knows how to turn on a computer i think he might <laughs> i think he might uh for me I like the return of, of well, I guess it's not the full team, but the majority of the team here, uh, because I think Benji, we have him kind of as a field agent in training. He's the guy who doesn't want to be the tech guy. He wants to get out there and I think plays the role very well and has a different, he and Luther are both lovable liabilities uh, that just really just screw things up for Ethan because he, but he loves them so much. He can't let them die. And they also know him on an emotional level. So I think that really works. And Brant, is you know jeremy renner is like a good he's a good solid hand in in this so i mean he doesn't do anything honestly special but he he and big rames have a wonderful chemistry together him and man too yeah but i think the luther part where especially we say like like, had to have the four by four luther had to have the four by four high speed chase (laughs) perfect um amanda close this out like are you happy that they brought like the core group back after just you know always changing them out outside of luther obviously i mean i i, 
I'm glad that they brought back the most movable parts of the core the core group because obviously Luther, who doesn't love Luther? He's been in every Mission Impossible movie. And just, you know, he's such a core part. I mean, that that's the original OG like bromance right there for this movie. Um and, you know, I mean, again, you know, Simon Pegg, I love him, too. You, again, you brought back the the two most lovable characters, most likable characters. And again, Jeremy Renner's a good, strong, you know, second. My only beef with it is I, I you know, I'm with Ben. I wish we could have had a little bit more other than Rebecca. You know, which she's amazing in this, which I know we'll talk about that. She's amazing in this movie. Um, and in, in um, you know, of course, we'll, we'll talk more about her, but she's just, she's awesome. But I, I feel like I'm like, where's the rest of the IMF? That's my big question. I'm like, everybody relies on Ethan and you had all of these other agents in the movies. I get that the, the organization was disbanded, but then if it's been reinstated and whatnot, where's everybody else? You know whose fault it is? It's Ethan's because he brought Julia to like take your friends and family to work day and spoil everyone's oh, cover. Oh, we're going to get into Julia and her picnic. Oh, yeah. We're going to get into that oh, yeah. next movie. That's, it- that's, that's where the rest of the IMF went. Because <laughs> you know, the one day you bring the friends and family to work, they all got killed. All okay, gone. That's well. That's why a certain character decided. You know what? I'm going to quit the IMF because this son of a bitch brought his wife in, blew my cover, and now you know what? I'm going to go all evangelical and radical and exactly. hang out with uh, beardy Sean Harris. Who? Let's talk about him in a hell of a transition as our villain Solomon Lane. Guys, he, you know. Sean Harris is not exactly the, you know, your garden variety everyday guy that we know, like a Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, or John Voight. But where do you think he, but he's known, you've seen him in Prometheus. He's been in other stuff. Okay. Maybe I saw him in Prometheus. And <laughs> okay, yay. Someone else saw I it. I Michael, saw it Fa- Michael Fassbender oh, Thirst. Michael Fassbender I- Thirst here. Well, I mean, you are a living human being. Those are the yes. dumbest fucking scientists I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, in I was about to say, I'm here I, with that. I enjoy Holy Prometheus, hell. but they are ve- they are dumber than a bag of hammers. Like, seriously. Insane. But, but where do you guys rank him amongst the Mission Impossible villains? Uh, well, you know, throw Fallout, but he is the villain in Fallout too, uh, as well as somebody else. Uh, where does he rank for you guys? Because to me... He's number one, and it's not even close because I feel like he is this perfect foil for Ethan. He is calculated where Ethan is a gambler, and that uh, that they not very subtly make that point throughout the movie. I just love his slow, methodical delivery of his lines, and he's just so menacing. Um, Al, I know you're a big, big fan of Philip Seymour Hoffman in three. But what, so who, where does Solomon rank for you? Is he number one or is he a little bit down the list? Yeah. I mean, I'd have to say he's number one. He's been in the most movies. He's great whenever he's used. I mean, I love Philip Seymour Hoffman, but like, again, when we talked about three, I said, that's more of like a very low stakes compared to what these movies have become under Macquarie and, and Brad Bird. Macquarie. And, yeah. Macquarie. I, just, I just want to keep saying. You're the really going to just. McClane. McClane. <laughs> <laughs> the way John McLean came in and saved this franchise. No, but <laughs> I think if they used Philip Seymour Hoffman in the later films, I don't think it would have worked. Like he was perfect for the villain that he was in in three and the stakes that were in three. This guy is so grandiose. And, you know, even though he's very like calm, collected, quiet, it there's still this like huge energy around him. Like from the moment we see him on screen in Rogue Nation, when uh he kills the the 
the, the clerk at the uh, record store. Um, I believe the that's nicest the nicest record store <laughs> I've ever seen. I know, coolest, right? coolest record store. Immaculate. Oh Immaculate. Right? I've never seen a <laughs> record store that clean uh, in my life. Um, I, I, I thought he was great. Um, and I think he's probably number one, but like, who else do we have to choose from? Like in that sense, right? Like it's tough. I mean, we we're, get... we're not saying do Grace Scott. I just want to make sure that Ambrose, he's off the table in this regard. Oh, man. He's clearly probably... number oh, one for everyone, right? He's... Yeah. No, he's number one because he sucked. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, low, he's, he was, he was Prince of the Uggos for a hot minute. <laughs> personally uh, attack that poor man uh, <laughs> i mean i mean to be fair again the european people in like the 1500s <laughs> didn't have dental insurance there was no there's no self-care you're just trying to survive so if you're missing a few teeth you know i mean you're all you, you know you you're lucky if you made it to 20 to 25 i'm just saying um <laughs> i didn't mean to bring you back there i'm sorry that's all right uh, it's amazing uh, there is there is one there's a, a fact i did learn about sean harris he agreed to do this role if he was never used again he wanted to be killed off so tom cruise and christopher mccary they lied uh, to him no they so did. they said they apparently they ended the way they were going to end it they were going to use him as like he was going to be off screen and they were trying to get him but they just kept trying to write around not having him in the movie you know like dude we're sorry we have to have you in the movie and i guess he was like oh, all right i'll be in the movie and so he was and that was my that's my show incredible incredible that was awesome. oh, thanks i just have to like just shred my vocal cords who knows great of the peace <laughs> the larger the thing i just like now it's just like, yeah. i think suffering solid. is what we're looking for <laughs> eh, you know amanda so it's do gray scott right i mean it has to oh, be yeah. he offended oh, all your senses for, you have nothing against him as a person i'm just saying i don't know but... I, like you did. I I mean two things about this series we've learned you have a personal problem with your sister and two gray scott that's all i'm saying anyway so uh, we, we will throw the bus yet well you will I'm, but uh, will henry cavill we have to throw into this as well who was the biggest who is your favorite villain and where does uh, uh lane rank amongst them Oh, man. So, I mean, obviously, I loved Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance. I really feel like, and a lot of that is Tom Cruise in his acting as well, feeling like, um, you know, like Philip Seymour Hoffman's character got under his skin, like, uh, you know, and just that was really powerful. But I'm with Al in that, you know, I don't know if Philip Seymour Hoffman could have continued with the stakes being as as big as they are now. And it's hard because and I love that performance. But Sean Harris came in and he had the unenviable job. I feel like every villain that has followed since Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's, it's a tough job. It's a tough job when you're following somebody acting at that caliber. Um, Sean Harris just came in and I like the approach he took. For me, I, I feel like he sl like quietly slid into number one um, because he, what I like about him is he's not a physically imposing person. Like he is a villain that in a terrorist that, you, that blends in. Like he's charismatic, he's quiet, and it, it felt very real. Like he had, he was obviously had the grandiose personality, but he's somebody too that could just slip in the crowd. Like he was, he just came across as more legitimately dangerous. That so somebody that's like, again, you, he's been, he, he understandably gave everybody the slip for a while and trying to find him because it just, that's just the, the, the portrayal um, that Sean Harris did, which I thought was, was brilliant. 
um, and I think really got under Ethan's skin in a different way. And so, and not necessarily where Ethan was, was so angry, like he was in number three, it was a whole, like, I'm being outsmarted. This is somebody who knows, who knows the system, who's got the connections and who can just blend in the crowd, but just make it, but still make a presence. And, and when he, like that first scene again with the clerk stole the scene, like you were like, who is this guy? Like, I'm super intrigued and still continues to steal the scene. And it doesn't, it didn't have to be loud power moves. It didn't have to be, you know, raising your voice or kind of just, you know, given a very dramatic performance. It was very, it was a very quiet and very real. Like I could genuinely believe that somebody like him would give everybody the slip. And that's what made, that's what made him so, so good um, in my opinion. So he's my number one. Yeah. Unlike uh, Tom Cruise, he can blend into a crowd. He's just an everyman. Whereas Tom Cruise is movie star Tom Cruise. So Ben, what about you? Where does Solid Lane rank amongst us? I mean, you, you have Owen Davian, who's got the great name. You've got Walker, who apparently all he has to do is like pump his forearms. He can grow facial hair out of literally nowhere. John Voight, I mean, need we say more? And then you've got a you know King Uggos. I mean, what are who's 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 the number one? Yeah, I'm just I'm throwing the same names out there again because for me, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman continues to take the top spot, mostly just because of his character in MI3 and his performance that he gave. But he in that movie had Hunt like scared, uh, beaten basically. He made it extremely personal by abducting his wife. Uh, so the personal stakes are never higher. So it, that's the only time you'll ever see Ethan like rattled completely. Um, granted, Solomon did make a play to try to blow up his wife in the Fallout movie. So he does get there eventually. But um, Solomon, to me, was much more in line with like the Bond villains of like uh, Daniel yeah. Craig era. Kind of gave that type of vibe off. Um, he's really calculated. He you know talks in that raspy tone, which you so eloquently demonstrated already. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it's very matter of fact with everything that he says and that he does. Um, he's supposed to be a former agent, so extremely intelligent, as Amanda was alluding to. Um, he's always seems to be a, head, a step ahead of Ethan and Elsa. But, of course, they end up making up for that um, all the time through dumb luck sometimes. But uh, the weird thing with this character is we don't see him really get his hands dirty, like, very much uh, until the, you know, the very end of, of Fallout. But until that point, like, he's got his henchmen and everybody kind of doing everything for him. He's not really fighting, even though you, you know, recognize that he still has those skills. Um, but yeah, much more in like the Bond era, I think. You bring up a ver- you brought up a really uh, interesting phrase, and that's good luck. It's they really lean into a lot of that. It's these two movies that Ethan one is the gambler, and two is the luckiest son of a bitch on the face of the planet. How does this thing of Ethan be- always being lucky and not being and not always being calculating and you know having the best plan? How does that work for you guys? Do you feel like it it dings Ethan Hunt's character a little bit? Or is this just up the ante because you're like, what is he going to do next to solve the problem he's gotten himself into? Ben, I'm going to go right back to you. Yeah, um, we'll talk more about it, but not so much in this one, even as much as in Fallout, but there's like the constant, like, we'll figure it out, like kind of mentality. It's literally like, me every day. Yeah, there's literally no real plan there. There's like a, a, a start of a plan. We're going to go to this place and we're going to start by doing this and then we'll just try to improvise it from there a lot of times. But I mean, in reality, I think even the best agent in IMF, if it existed, probably the first time you tried to fulcrum swing from one building to the other, you're probably going to go splat. Uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things that he's managed to accomplish uh, throughout these films that seem very, very <laughs> unreliable at best uh, to try to pull off a plan like that. But Alex, Alex said basically the the what I what I turned Alex's phrase into. I said that the the IMF 
their greatest en- enemy is their own ineptitude. Like, okay. they they fuck things up, and then they have to bullshit their way into saving the world. Yeah, on and a need- nuclear level in Fallout, which is crazy. And they need two tech guys because their tech's constantly failing, and somebody's having to fix something on the fly, the or like me smack it a few times to get it to work again. Like that kind of stuff happens all the time. Like, what's? <laughs> I don't know. Amanda, what's your what's your thoughts on the idea of luck? Uh, with Ethan Hunt and you know now we do see him have some really good plans that come together uh, which we'll talk about a little bit because that's one of my favorite parts of the movie uh, what do you think about this thing of just all about his luck and his gambling does that take away from him or does that actually make him more of an interesting character so in some regards I think it it works because they don't overplay it too much i think sometimes it gets borderline where it's it's his luck it's his luck it's starting to push it and i'm curious to see if they're going to do it in dead reckoning where they push it too much i feel like if you keep if you keep going down that road and you that's all you talk about it's it's his luck his luck it's not necessarily his skills or it's not like oh it's his actual intelligence that we're going to talk about here i think if you just play on that one aspect you're running the risk of well he's not really a good agent at all he's just somebody who gets lucky every time and so I'm I'm hoping that the focus gets less on the luck and maybe they start talking about other attributes that Ethan has that he actually can legitimate is a legitimately good spy. Um, so that's that's where where I'm at with it. I mean, it was it was entertaining. I think the first few times I heard it, and then that's just what they keep pushing, um, unless they get to a point where his luck does run out, and maybe that's how they end the franchise. Who knows? Because you're you're waiting and you're waiting and it's like, is his luck going to run out? And it it feels like it is, but then it doesn't. And there's a certain point where it's, okay, well, is, is, is it really an issue that he's lucky? You're kind of waiting, you know, waiting for the consequences, if you will. And if the consequences don't come, then, you know, is it as intriguing? It's like the boy who cried wolf sometimes. So I, I do... I'm curious to see how it ultimately comes together, but I feel like it it should have, it needs to have a good playoff if that's what you're going to rely on and bank Ethan's skills on versus, or, or his reputation on versus actually being a super intelligent spy who can see things out of the box kind of thing, if that makes sense. Yes. Al, I'm going to take what Amanda said and just kind of twist it a little bit and say, is he banking on luck and figuring it out because that's what he does or is it because Solomon Lane knows his playbook and is possibly the smarter of the two well it's the impossible mission force I don't think any of these missions have like cut and dry like here's what we're gonna do like the reason they have Benji and the reason they have Luther is they could kind of adapt to like any of these situations and then Ethan is like the you know the like the ultimate version of that right it's like all right, I got to go chase this guy down. I'm going to break all the cross-country records to do it. Like he is, that's that's how the team operates, right? So I don't think it's going against what like what uh, Lane is, is doing. I think it's more just like, there is no rule book to this. There is no playbook. Um, this is a new situation we've never dealt with before. And now here is how I would do it. And that's basically ethan's motto for the all of these okay. yeah you the best ball plan you probably have like a five percent maybe less success rate if everything goes perfect so they're just you know they yeah. get that little five percent lucky yeah all right guys uh now i did skip our question when we talk about you know when we first saw it but i want to kind of change that question a little bit we've all i could assume that we all saw this in the theater 
Oh yeah. I did. Yeah. Yep. Probably so, I'm probably IMAX. Most how, likely. So this movie is just about oh math. Eight years old at this point. How did it age for you guys on rewatch? Because listen, some of these like you know we've we've been watching these films from '96 to to now, and it's just like, how did it age? Did it still live up to what you had that experience you had in the theater, or was it actually better? Because for me, because it's not like has I haven't watched it as much. Going back to this film, I'm like, I really think I like this more on this watch because there's so much I had forgotten. The car chase down the stairs in Morocco and like Simon Pegg and Tom Cruise doing their own stunts. I had forgotten about the water stuff. And then the ending came back to me and I was like, oh, wow, this is way better than I could have, uh, that I, that I remember it. So for me, it was a much more robust experience. Um, do you guys have the same experience, like watching the second time around? And man, I'll go for you first. Like when you rewatch this, we're like, oh, hey, I actually kind of like this better. Or was there parts that this didn't age well for you? I feel like I appreciated it more watching it this time around. You know, I, I when I first saw it, obviously it was the action that I'm here for and the explosions and the chases and all that kind of stuff. You're, you're just watching it to enjoy it. Whereas I think here I was trying to pay attention a little bit more. Um, and, and I really, um, I really feel like I, I like a lot of the, the tech, like with the kind of, you know, messing with like biometrics, I feel like the, the science part of it oh, got yeah. a little, I got a lot more intriguing. Um, what was it like just, a, a gate-ometer or something like that, where they measure his, uh, his walk, his, his walking gait? Yeah. The whole, that, that was so that, cool. That was I so cool. It. So I feel like the science tech geek in me really appreciated yeah. this way more. And that technology, I mean, it's like, you know, we have motion capture technology now and machine learning and stuff like that. So I feel like, you know, that's still very, very um, relevant. And even just, you know, having this terrorist organization like the syndicate and like, you know, that, that, that that's something that still could potentially happen that you have these like, you, you know, or just, just some of the aspects of just the world, world government part of things yeah. and the politics of things feels very real in this type of world are still very relevant. Um, you know, and again, just, just, you know, bioterrorism and stuff like that. I mean, and just straight up terrorism. These are things that are still issues today. Um, yeah. just at a different, whole different level. So I think this movie is still definitely, even though it's been eight years, it's interesting that a lot of the topics this movie covers and the science and the tech are things that we still have around or that still have discussions about or still have some variation of. So for me, it's a lot more intriguing to watch it now, a little older and knowing the kind of world that we're in and seeing a more direct tie-in versus the realism versus when I first watched it back in the theater and was just excited to see stuff blow up. <laughs> <laughs> ben, how about you? How did this how did this film age for you? Really well. I mean, well, do you think eight years later they would have been able to develop some sort of an oxygen tank that wasn't metal so he didn't have to hold his breath? Because that was the only piece I was like, you can't come up with that. You guys got all this awesome tech. But that's the one thing you can't figure out. Is you, like, LED, you can get an LED oxygen monitor yeah. on your forearm, but you can't get like a you know. Stuff an oxygen balloon in your vest. So I don't know, man. There had to be something. But um, no, I think like a lot of people and because Fallout, I think maybe overshadowed how much I like this movie because all I could think about was Fallout and it's been a while since I've seen this one. Uh, but I think this one is probably the peak of 
the perfect blend of humor and action um, without Simon Pegg having to like carry the whole thing like he has like in some of the other ones for the comedy piece of it. Um, all the characters really work really well together. You mentioned like the Ving Rhames and uh, Jeremy Renner had like great chemistry and had such great jokes, you know, together. That's like an odd couple that was fun to see. Um, you know, Tom Cruise really leans into some of the stuff well, which he does. I'll, I'll talk yeah. on a little bit, like my favorite you know, part of the movie, but um, he really is on board with the comedy bit more, probably more so than the other films in this one. And then like you guys had mentioned, like Rebecca Ferguson is just incredible. Um, you know, she's probably, it's one of the best characters in all of Mission Impossible, definitely the best female character that we've been given with the series. And uh, probably more so than any other film, she's the only person that rivals Tom Cruise for like screen time. I feel like it's maybe not 50-50, but pretty close. It's close. To being like just almost He's a little bit. He's got better chemistry with her than he does with yeah. Michelle Monaghan, like by, by a country yeah. mile. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, also, uh, oh, we got to take out. Uh, they do use another one of my lines that I say all the time in Fallout where he says, we'll burn that bridge when we come to it. I'm like, yeah. I love that. Yes. <laughs> That's yes. Say that forever. Um, Al, how is it aged for you? I mean, it's aged great. However, as Ben said, like Fallout overshadows it. It's literally in between Ghost Protocol, yeah. which, which changes the trajectory. It's the Fast Five of I'm going to keep referencing Fast and Furious. It's fine. It is the it's Fast five. You're going to will that Fast and Furious podcast into existence yeah, next for sure. year, I know. It's going to just be me and Alicia. It's no, it's like I'm going to watch it for the first time. Oh, yeah. Through the whole thing again. So. To just point break. It, that's you know. the disservice that this movie has is this movie's amazing. And it's so like the it's consistently great throughout. Just like all these movies, the pacing of these movies when Macquarie and well, Bird and then when Macquarie takes over from like here on it's these movies go like fallout is nine hours long and it doesn't feel like it it's really crazy um the the disservice i think with this is the big stunt in the beginning happens so quickly and it's right in the beginning and that's kind of what the movie was like known for like that was the big press leading up to it's like tom cruise literally hangs off a plane Whereas, before the opening credits. <laughs> yes. Before the opening credits. Yes. Whereas Ghost Protocol, the big, big action sequence was at as, as at the hotel. And that's later, that's like halfway through the movie, right? So it's like, there's a big buildup to it. Whereas this has like a ton of great action set pieces, but the big, like what the movie is known for, literally happens within, you know, before the credits roll. And I think that's why this is almost like the forgotten film of this franchise. And I don't even think that's even close to being the best action sequence. It's not. Movie. No. Not even close. But they banked on it because that was, I, as soon as you started saying, I'm like, that's the poster. That's it's right. him hanging it's off of huge. it. It's huge. Yeah. It's probably the most dangerous thing I would think that he's done. Well, well, like, he, I mean, just that, he drove. Uh, like a bird could fly and kill him, like, or something. But he like, also, he did the he, all that driving it, for real, yeah. that was him and Peg. So he's, I mean, they should. He's doing. Died. He's doing a yeah. project with SpaceX. He's gonna go to space. Well, he has to. Fast and Furious did, right? Yeah, so. I was about to say they're but probably he's gonna put physically him for Fast gonna and go there. Whereas that <laughs> like he's actually CGI. gonna go. He's going yeah. to space, yeah. and he's gonna film his part of Fast. The one cameo he's gonna get in space. Oh, man. But would you say it's crazier to jump out of a plane without a parachute, or to jump on to hold on to a plane, not knowing if you'll be able to get inside of it? I mean. I mean, you're asking me a point break versus mission possible question. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. Yeah. I mean, I mean, first off, I mean, at least Tom Cruise, he he had to have some. He had guys helping him. Okay, he had people trying to manipulate a door. Johnny Utah uh, had just been in a, a car chase, a firefight, and jumped out in like cowboy boots, a shitty shirt, and had a pistol in his hand. So I'm going to say that because that was just dumb. 
<laughs> Tom Cruise at least had a team that could do stuff, and they were hacking Russian satellites. Even he if, had a little. He had a little better of a shot. Even if Benji um, keeps opening the wrong door. Uh, yeah, the, 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 but he Benji, had someone trying to open the door. That's positive. The, the Benji doesn't know how to use tech properly. Joke works way better in Fallout, in my opinion. Um, let's move on to, uh, and this is where we're going to really talk about Ilsa Faust in the segment called "It's Ethan Hunt, Darling." You remember him because his romantic interest in this is Ilsa Faust, played by Rebecca Ferguson, who we've already started to talk about. Ben, you mentioned she has a, a huge amount of screen time in this. And you could say, I mean, I don't even think it's that much of a stretch. She is the co-lead of this film. Uh, Al, you me you messaged me multiple times about Rebecca Ferguson this week. Um, just have at it. Talk about the Rebecca Ferguson of it all. He is the rock what the rock was for the fast and furious franchise motherfucker <laughs> no, no it's actually kind of true no, it, uh, it is I know. she's such a great addition to this right we pa paula Patton was great in ghost protocol but um it's not like ne ethan necessarily needs a love interest but like he needs someone to compete with who is not him right and you know they do that to an extent again with fallout when when they introduce walker which is like what's the opposite of ethan hunt and like having like him be next to him over and over again and i guess that's what kind of renner was a little bit in protocol mm, too yeah a little bit or what they were trying to do is like trying potentially another until ethan, but like alex said he got cucked by exactly <laughs> but it was great to i know see, it like, was a, it was a whole thing <laughs> it was great to see like the um uh I'm trying to think it's it's was she Interpol what was what was uh MI6 MI6, MI6 yeah so she's MI6 um so it, it was funny to see kind of like who was the MI6 version of Ethan Hunt and it's this like deadly sexy female assassin like just like overall incredible agent who just got fucked over by her government and uh Lane and I I think she's incredible in every single scene that she's in. And I, I doubt she's doing the stunt work on the bike, but like both scenes, uh, both both films, because we'll just talk about it as a whole at this point, um, both motorcycle scenes with her. Awesome. Yeah. So, so good. Um, yeah, I absolutely adore her. I want to go watch her new Apple show now, just because now I'm obsessed with her. Silo, which got um, renewed for a second season. Yeah. Check and out. go watch Dr. Sleep. She's great in that as lead villain. You have not. Uh, Amanda, the Rebecca Ferguson of it all. I loved her in this. I, I feel like she's the direction that I think Paula Patton could have gone. Um, you know, I, I love that she has her own compelling story. She's yep. super engaging. And it's a good story. It's not like, here, we're just going to yeah. have something so Ethan has somebody to hang out with. She is his equal. In a lot of ways, his superior. She outsmarts him in a lot of ways as well. She can read him like nobody's business. And I appreciate that, that she's just, not only is she, she's sexy, she's beautiful, but that's not what they always play to. She's very classy. And I feel like it's, it's what makes her so compelling is her intelligence, her personality, her, you know, her vulnerability. She gives it just a beautiful all the way around performance. And in a lot of ways, I think she steals the show from Ethan is she's somebody that can legitimately 
be taken as a as a love interest who can stand on her own. She doesn't need him. She doesn't in a lot of ways. She can take care of herself. She survived all of this time being screwed over by everybody. Um, and, and, you know, even when Ethan hits her, she's so understanding too. Even, you know, the, with the treatment she gets by Ethan sometimes, you know, like hits her with a car and it's like, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like, you know, so I mean, fine. it's the it's job. Fine. It's <laughs> fine. Um, and, and I love that she legitimately cares about him, you know, and, and she just has such a, a charismatic presence more so than any other female that has been in the franchise at this point. Um, so yeah, she is strong. She is fierce. She's vulnerable. She's just a really well done and well developed female character that this 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 franchise really needed. And yeah. and Rebecca just nails the performance. I love her. I want her to be my best friend. Um, call me. Let's hang out. <laughs> yeah, come on the podcast. I'll come ask on the you podcast. All the uh, I as Al has just eyes exploded in his skull. Uh, I think like what you're saying, Amanda, is that they really uh, most of the characters, and it's not just the female characters, it's most of the characters are just almost like, you know, they're adjectives in the sentence, they're window dressing, they're just little pieces to um, be in the background, to help Ethan, even the villains a lot of times take a back seat to Ethan Hunt, but the women of the franchise, I mean, if we go back to shit i guess we have to mission impossible too like come on van Weed newton was just like they just made her like this puppy dog for ethan hunt she was this and we talked about the wasted potential of she was a master thief and wow that would have been cool for her to like be a, a huge part of this movie but she wasn't she was just the, the what the boys fought over essentially uh michelle monaghan had some good stuff in there but she was it, it, but it just never went to that level. It always felt like she was playing second banana, third banana on, on screen. Whereas Rebecca Ferguson here, she just takes control of the movie. My biggest concern for Dead Reckoning, though, is having watched the trailer, I know Haley Atwell will be uh, a big part of this film. I don't really want Rebecca Ferguson just to be a tag along for, for the impossible mission force. I want her to remain in those roles. And I think, like you said, Rebecca, um, I almost called you Rebecca. I did call you Rebecca. What a dick, uh, Amanda. Um, that, I think it's a compliment. Hey, all right. Uh, <laughs> you got a help. Yeah, you're a crack shot. You could hold your breath underwater for a whole bunch of time, and you could ride a motorcycle like a can, badass. Can we dare say she is it? Cucked Tom Cruise? Is that what it is? I don't. That, uh, I feel that like was Alex. That, that's you, Alex's you, term. I feel like she. Out, she I just out, don't she know. Outmanned, I feel like she outmanned Tom Cruise, and I loved it. Here for uh, I mean, I think her jumping on a guy's shoulders and then stabbing him in the skull. Yeah. He never killed anyone that well, um, for sure. But I think, I, like you said, Amanda, she has this one, like one of the best written stories within the Mission Impossible universe, because I guess we have to say the, the word universe now. Ben, close us out. The Rebecca Ferguson of it all. Yeah, I just, I love the way, like you guys were talking about, they handled her character. Um and I, I appreciate that a lot of it's like left unsaid as far as their relationship between them. There's obviously a lot of like mutual respect, uh, which you tend to get when they're saving each other's lives you know, multiple times. But um, you think of it as far as like a relationship for him. She's kind of the perfect one, the natural fit, because she can take care of herself. She understands the job. She can, you know, uh, she's not part of IMF, so you don't have to worry about like HR, you know, having a problem with it. Although I guess like Claire and Phelps were <laughs> 
married in the first one, so I guess that really doesn't matter. There's no I mean, rules. also, Benji had uh, so many problems with HR in this film. Yeah, true, true. Uh, but yeah, they never really crossed that like line of getting romantic necessarily, so it's, it's a lot like left out there, um, which I think that since she's naturally a part of the next two movies, um, they could hopefully, maybe they will build into a relationship between them at this point after, you know, where we kind of leave them in fallout. But at the end of this movie, you know, there's that offer. The first time it really gets verbalized at all is there's the offer to like just walk away with her and they can escape and they can, you know, go do their own thing. They've got infinite resources. They can blend in. Um, but, you know, he turns that down at this particular time. So I don't I know. Uh, no offense. I don't think Rebecca Ferguson can blend it. I mean, yeah, that's, that's true. It depends where they go, <laughs> but uh yeah, but yeah, I love love her character, and can't wait to see where they continue to go with it after you know, obviously getting to see her again and fall out too. That is about as thirsty as I get on podcasts. Um, <laughs> all right, guys, it's time for our favorite segment: red light, green light. It is. Uh, Al gets scared every time I do that. Uh, at least you're not asleep like last week. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite part of this film? It's it's a toughie. There are a lot of great moments in this uh, for me. Uh, it is easily the end where Ethan slides into, I mean, that whole chase sequence, the, the stabbing on the, of the head, everything is great here. But when um, Lane is chasing Ethan into that building, Ethan slides into that hole and Lane thinks he has him and they catch him in the glass box and they outsmarted him. I was like, I did not see that coming. It was such a great twist. It was so smart. And they had because you never you like we're seeing this thing built by 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 Brant and Luther and we're like oh what are they doing like we have no idea it's so vague and then when you see it happen you're like oh my god they had him it was so smart and Lane's trying to shoot his way out he's becoming what Ethan was trying to do instead of punching his way he's trying to shoot his way out and then he gets gassed um, I thought you know a, such a great ending although it does lead to one of my least favorite parts of the movie which I'll get into later. So guys, what is your red light, green light, Amanda? Oh man, as much as I love the end, the end was brilliant. I loved it. Um, yeah, that whole scene too was was great. For me, I loved the prime minister biometric oh, stuff. Yeah, like, that is I thought one. that scene was brilliant because I was like, what? It's Ethan? Really? And I mean, you know, it just, just the way that all went down and just how they, they tricked you know, at Lee and just, it, it was, it was so well done. It felt very spy and I loved everything about that. And I, I did, I, the prime minister, that was, that was fun because I enjoyed his performance and as Mr. Collins and Pride and Prejudice. So the, the, the nerd in me popped for that. Um, <laughs> um, so I was like, it's Mr. Collins. Um, but I, I really loved just how everything came together because you really thought I was like, did, did Brant actually legitimately betray Ethan? Like what's going on? And the way they set that all up, that was just, that was brilliant. And the prime minister is just like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, just chilling and just, you know, kind of nice and high and just it, it the way that all went down was brilliant. It I was, it I, was awesome. I wish I could be that relaxed. Um, right? But the, yeah, they sell you out on so many of the fake ads, like you bite on it so hard. Uh, ben, what is your red light, green light? Yeah, so I do love the the intelligence behind those scenes and how well written they are uh, but then i'm also a sucker for just a great chase sequence so the car like motorcycle sequence after the the water stunt is over um to me it has the majority of like the intense action of the movie in that segment and then also the best comedy too like you've got 
Tom Cruise kind of coming to after having just been dead for like two minutes and then he's just a little bit out of it and he's kind of staring and then he sees the car and he's like car and then he tries to like do a cool slide over it just falls and then he's like are you okay to drive like a minute ago you were dead and he's like what are you talking about it's they have such good banter like in that whole sequence and then like put on your seatbelt is like you're telling me that now like it's just back and forth like so fun to watch and the action and like the driving and the motorcycle everything is great so it's it's peak action and peak comedy uh it's kind of right in the you know third part of the movie um to me like there wasn't like you talked about i love the way this one ended but there's there's not like some huge like action sequence that happens at the end outside of the cool stabbing sequence uh, so it's this is kind of where the action peaks for me. Um, so yeah, I love watching that one. So Al, was your red light, green light, the car chase sequence because you have to keep making Fast and Furious references, or was it no, a different part? That's <laughs> that that's clever. No, uh, it's not. I do love that sequence, and oh. almost literally everything about this movie is fucking awesome. Uh, I love the opera sequence. Oh, that was really incredible. Um, from start to finish, when Rebecca Ferguson enters the theater with jazz flute in hand, with the jazz with with the with like the yellow gown, I think it's yellow or gold or whatever. I think it's green, isn't it green? I thought it was like green. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's blue. I don't know. I can't remember the color. Like a citrus, of the dress it's a citrusy <laughs> color. It's a citrusy <laughs> color. She was definitely wearing clothes. I remember this. Um, as opposed to the one scene. Exactly. So. That's uh yeah you're right I was which say, is uh which is I'm just like uh, ladies and gentlemen this is a Mission Possible movie we don't need well, this is audacious let's stop this come on but Family, the moment the moment she enters that theater it's like okay this is no longer an Ethan Hunt movie this yeah. is like we have two completely different perspectives of what is trying to like what what the end goal of this movie is or like you know one is trying to you know stop the syndicate and the other one's like no you need to go fucking kill this guy so i just love that aspect because it brings something totally new to the table um their their dynamic and the way that they do that scene the cutting back and forth between them and benji a lot of tension and it, it's really really well done and kind of the reason why macquarie mccarver MacArthur, mclean is gruber mcgruber is so good McDuck. At, at making these movies. Uh and it, that's like that's like what you could show to a class. Like, how do you how do you make tension? Here you go. All right, guys, let's move on to our next segment, which is our toast segment, which we talk about the thing we don't like. So what there is very little in this movie that I do not like, but there's one scene I was like, how did that happen? is when the cube that they have uh, the glass box that um lane is in fills up with smoke and then ethan just kind of gives it a half-hearted shove and it moves over I'm like <clears throat> there is a close to 200 pound man in this box full of bulletproof glass how how did he kick it over that easy it's a little it's it's a little silly that's really it for me that's wife really is gonna love that response because she's mentioned that both times we watched this movie. She's like, "That's not possible." <laughs> like out of everything that oh, you've seen, like it's not. It's not. No, stop it. Well, I'm like, if it's not easy to tip it over, why didn't Lane just tip it over? Yeah, I, well, it, it had a roof on it, so I mean, I get that. But yeah. you, at the same time, you know, it's a little silly. It's a little silly. Any anyone else besides the 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 very light but very heavy box uh, issue that uh, they want to bring up for uh, toast? Al, do you got anything? <laughs> No, uh, Amanda. 
Oh man, I if I have to be really, really, yeah, really yeah, picky, picky yeah. um, I felt like the drowning underwater went a hair too long. Because yeah. I'm like, there is there is no way, even if you brought Tom it's, Cruise back from the dead, you, you need that needed to be shorter, realistically. It's a 25 so like, minute scene, yeah. Yeah, I was like, ooh, by the time I was like, I don't know if you can re- really resuscitate him at that point. Like, I'm surprised she was able to bring him back. Um, because that just went on a little, a little long to where it was almost, I was like, ah, we're stretching it. We're stretching a little bit to bring back somebody from the dead who's been underwater that long. But, but it may have been probably a lot shorter in, you know, in theory, it yes. just felt long. Um, and I get they're trying to stretch out the drama element and, you know, Ethan's a legit in danger and all of that, but, and she comes to save him, which is great. I just think that it needed to be shorter. But it was I'm like the it really was like picky. the last it was the last thirty seconds of a basketball game that last twenty minutes. Yes, yeah. it, that's how it felt. And if that had maybe I don't know if there was a way Trim to it. fix that, but again, I'm being really, really really picky, really picky. I think if you can say one bad thing about Macquarie's Mission Impossible films is Macbeth, <laughs> he does not understand time. Oh, time's irrelevant. We've learned that. Well, I, I think this is a great example. And then when we get into Fallout. We have 15 minutes before these nukes. No, you have six hours. Yes. You know how many things yes. happen? When like you, 35 between... minutes worth of movie, yeah. Two Lord of the Rings movies were made during, during that time. 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think that's just an overarching issue. But that's a, that's a good point, Amanda. Uh, ben, uh, outside of your wife's very astute uh, yeah. observation, uh, any, any, re- any toasts for you? Well, my original was going to be related to what I mentioned earlier about the oxygen tank. Like, I feel like with their amazing technology, they could have come up with something, you know, that wasn't metal, like they would have worked. Um, and it, you could you could print a mask. You could yeah, three yeah. printers or anything. And just to be contrary a little bit, the only other reason, um, the opera assassination that you mentioned was done really well. It was the only part of the movie that I think kind of slowed things down a bit when the rest yeah, of it's okay. like fast paced. So... And I've seen like that type of thing, like in so many other movies uh, where they're trying to do some type of assassination. They sneak in a weapon. You've got to time it right with the sound of like a concert or a speech or whatever. So um, maybe a, maybe just because I've seen that a bunch of times uh, and because it was a little bit slower paced. OK, sounds good. Uh, and then finally, uh, our rating on a scale of one to ten guys. Uh, Al, give us a give us a, a thing we're rating it on. All right. Good. Uh, no. No, no I, 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 I tried to let him cook, guys. And no, it's I would I would say I was gonna say one to ten uh, fake Benji masks, but then I don't know what I have for Fallout, so I'm gonna go with that for now, and we'll I'll make a better one for Fallout. How about one to ten jazz flute sniper rifles? I Let's, had it, I had it, I was thinking I, about it. We're gonna go with that because yeah, we're gonna like use that. the Benji mask. I like that better. Yeah. So one to ten jazz flute sniper rifles. What are you giving this? For me, it's a big old nine. Um, because then I watch Fall, because I'm like, wow, this is the best one. Then I watch Fallout. Yeah. Uh, this, I mean, there's barely anything I could pick at this movie. The ending is so tremendous. I, I mean, I've shown this to people where they were, you know, they get invested for the car chase and then, you know, other parts of the movie they're not in. But what sells them on it, what sells them a ticket is the end of the movie. And they're like, I cannot wait to see Fallout, what happens there. And so that to me, it's it's just an awesome, awesome movie. And you're right, Ben. It strikes the comedy balance perfectly. Uh, and Ben, uh, how many jazz flute uh, sniper rifles are you giving it out of ten? Yeah, I uh, love the movie. I'm gonna do eight and a half jazz flutes. Um, and the extra half is uh, just for Alec Baldwin's delivery of the line. 
sir, Hunt is a living manifestation of destiny, and he's made you his mission. Such an amazing line. It's the yeah. best thing Baldwin did in this whole film. So, uh, yeah, that's worth the point five. So eight and a half. Oh, that is a great line. Amanda. I'm going to say nine. It, this movie is so nine jazz flute sniper rifles because this movie's great all the way around. It, I would have been higher, but then Fallout came out. So, I, I mean, it, 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 this, is, this is really, really good. Again, my expectations with three were really high. You know, it, I, and three had been the kind of the pinnacle for me, even though four was, was really good too. Um, I mean, again, you have Sean Harris coming in as, a, as just a tremendous villain. And just, again, following somebody like Seymour, Philip Seymour Hoffman is a hard thing to do, and he just nails it. And then you have, again, like, the best female lead in this franchise. The, the, the female that you really, 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 we all needed. We needed. And I love Rebecca Ferguson. You brought back my favorite parts of my, my IMF team. Um, I'm here for this. So I, I, it's very hard to be picky about this movie. Again, I had to, to call out a, a long drowning scene, and that's about it. That's all I could find wrong with it. <laughs> all right al what did you think of christopher mcbarkley's uh first foray into uh, the mission impossible franchise how many jazz flute sniper rifles are you giving it i'm gonna give it nine jazz flute sniper rifles i think i think everyone kind of hit it on the head like this this was yeah, i mean ghost protocol turned this franchise around not like it needed but like it brought it into a different direction and five like cemented it and then it's just a big lead up into what we're about to talk about, which is, I don't know, peak cinema. Like Fallout is fucking awesome. Rogue yeah. Nation's so good. There's so much to love in this movie and consistently throughout. There's not a lot of, you know, dead weight throughout this movie. And the cast or is Or dead great. reckoning. Or dead reckoning. The cast is great. <laughs> they're all, they're, they yeah. all look like they're having the best time. And all the new additions make it great. You get the introduction of Lane. It's a fucking, I mean, Rebecca Ferguson. Enough said. We're back, 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 back. And let's talk about the final film in our Impossible Podcasting Force miniseries. And that is 2018's Mission Impossible Fallout, which I totally screwed up on the show notes if you read it. Uh, this film, again, Christopher McDuff uh, directs it. And uh, we're not even coming close to his real name at this point. But uh, in the knocklist segment, let's talk about our returning cast. It's a lot of people returning in this film. Of course, Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt, Bing Rames, Luther Stickle, Simon Pegg as Benji. Rebecca Ferguson is back as Ilsa Faust. Sean Harris, as we mentioned before, was originally not supposed to be in this film, but he returns as Solomon Lane. And surprise, surprise, Michelle Monaghan is back as Julia Mead Hunt and uh another name that i don't remember what her last name is now uh we also have debuting the mustachioed uh man of the hour too sweet to be sour henry cavill as walker a man who wore shirts way too small for him and he sweat through every single one of them the mustache of all mustaches we had angela bassett debuting as head of the cia erica sloan Fast and the Furious uh, alum Vanessa Kirby uh, is in here as the White Widow. Frederick Schmidt is her brother Zola. Plus, we also have cameos from Wes Bentley and Wolf Blitzer. <laughs> so, guys, 
Sorry, just thinking of Wolf Blitzer's part is hilarious. That was great. Uh, uh, let's talk about this cast. Let's, uh, Amanda, I have to start with you. I would literally be a crime against humanity if I didn't. Let's talk about the Henry Cavill of it all as Walker. The floor is yours. Uh, what yeah. you need to do here. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, you know, I wondered initially if Henry Cavill was brought in to be cucked by Tom Cruise. You know, Tom Cruise has that. He brings these guys in to be more masculine and just kind of be more like, you know, I'm a man and like, you're, yeah, you're like the it thing. I'm alpha. Exactly. And I feel like that maybe that was the original intention with Henry Cavill. And then Henry Cavill went, just kidding. I'm the alpha. Um, I mean, he comes in and steals scenes and just, you know, even revealing him as a villain is intriguing because Henry Cavill, everybody associates him with good guys. I mean, we see him as the tutors. Yeah, Superman. I I think you see him as the tutors. I didn't even know he was. Definitely the first thing that comes to mind. That was the first thing. Well, that was the that was why I watched the tutors. I only know him as the man from Uncle. What a movie! One day the man the man from Uncle cast will happen, my friends. Yeah, we'll just forget the other guy in the movie. Exactly. Right. I was like, who? There's somebody else. Oh, I know. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you have Geralt as a witcher. Like he he's known for playing more more good characters. You really don't see him as a heel or a bad guy. And when he does turn, you're like, oh, okay, wait a minute. And they're like, yeah, he's an assassin in this. And it's like, okay, but you know, so you, you, it's kind of out there. It's kind of out there that his motives are a little shady. But when it happens, it's still like, but it's Henry Cavill. And I'm like, even though he's a bad guy, he's just he's so easy on the eyes and he nails it he nails it beautifully like i think i think he was a, a good addition i think it backfired on tom cruise a little bit uh, for sure because you have again this this very mustachioed handsome man that did not go down easily <laughs> to be cut. <laughs> just... i think it was done on i don't think i think it was the exact opposite i oh, think really? they brought him in because Tom Cruise has never had a villain that he's had to literally punch up to, literally, figuratively. Like, yeah. that man is a friggin' mountain. And yeah, so the fight scene, that whole fisticuffs over the, with the helicopters, that was incredible. Because again, Henry Cavill's a big, I mean, he's a big dude. Like, he's not. He's a middle linebacker for the Giants. Yeah. He's, he's, he, and so, uh, so he's to have this big guy come in and and I think it also leans into Ethan's I'll figure it out because now he is not only being outsmarted by Lane, he's being out muscled by Walker. So if he couldn't, you know, outsmart someone, he'd punch his way through it or he'd run his way out of it. Now you have someone who's his physical superior and someone who maybe is his mental superior. They're now like, they're ta- a tag team against him, and he sees like well, it's all about his luck and resor- resourcefulness to kind of make this happen. Well, and you see the difference, like right off the bat, the whole fighting scene in the bathroom where they're both trying to take down the one guy, um, which I forget his name, but the, the, the well, uh, they think um, he's John Lark. John Lark, there we go. The the John Lark in quotations. I mean, Tom Cruise or Ethan Hunt has a hard time fighting John Lark, and Walker does better. He's a better, like, better way to knock him out and stuff he like that. He literally grew just... facial hair by moving his arms. So, yeah, exactly. he's going to win. Exactly. I mean, yeah, he fought him in very tight. I give him credit. Those, those, those shirts are durable. Let's put it that way. Those shirts, like, to do fisticuffs and not rip, like, the Hulk style, your shirt. Um, that's he, good marketing he, right there. He grows guys. a pocket. He, he, he 
loads his fists like a gun and grows both a beard and a pocket. Well, Best movie I, ever. So I mean, that's, we, we, that's, that's the man right there. I'm, uh, we know I'm trying to control my thirst right now. I'm, but uh, We know Amanda's toast moment with the fact that shirt did not rip. Uh, so It's good advertising. I'm not wrong. Every guy should go buy one of those shirts now because those things are not going to like, you know, hulk, you, know, you can't hulk your way out of those shirts. Henry Cavill can't. I, Nobody else I, can. I, I often have the problem of hulking myself out of shirts. Um, obviously, if you've <laughs> ever met me, that's the most stupid thing I've ever said. And uh, it's me, Ben, the Henry Cavill of it all. Like how, like his addition to this cast, what, what's your thoughts on it? Okay, I thought you were just going to ask me like to continue the thirst about uh, Henry Cavill. But, uh... He's like, I patent my facial hair after Henry Cavill, which like looking at you and looking at him, I can see it. Failing. Uh, well, I didn't say it. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, no, Henry Cavill is fantastic in this movie. Um, I think he is definitely a huge part of why it works. So much of like Rebecca Ferguson made the last movie great, like Henry Cavill being in this one helps make this one great and elevate it to what I think we're all saying is our favorite Mission Impossible film. Uh, chemistry between him and, and Tom Cruise in this movie is so good. They, they've been playing off of each other uh, is great. I mean, just as an example, the, the halo jump sequence and then at the bottom of that, which is, you lost your oxygen. You're just like, motherfucker, I got to just take your life by your own cost. Save your ass. <laughs> yeah. it's just this... I was waiting for Tom Cruise to be like, what a dick. Yeah. <laughs> just to say that. At some and point. Like, like, he's so hot, though, when he says <laughs> He's just, like, carefully on, like, rolling back up his parachute. He's like, dude. Lands perfectly. Yeah. Like yeah. an angel. Yeah. yeah. Nah, but, I mean, like yeah, like he's the son of Krypton. He can't. Can't say anything bad about it. You almost you almost feel bad for the guy at the end when he gets like the, the acid or whatever dripped on his face and he gets disfigured. Then you're like, oh. still a hot two face though. Still he becomes two face, and Macquarie's like, nope, not enough. Yeah. He needs more things to happen to his face. Man, it's like it's fine. Just always it's right fine. profile. Just, just, just exactly. Just, just, just. All right, you know, just we're gonna to put a, right. we're gonna put a hook in the middle of his forehead and a plane fall, a helicopter fall. I thought you were gonna say explode. we're gonna put a hook in this and move on. And then move on. No, uh, but uh, Al, your thoughts on Henry Cavill uh, joining this cast? I mean, if if you thought Rebecca Ferguson was a thirst trap geez uh he is incredible he's incredible in this i mean what color was his shirt (laughs) it's always like a beige brown it's like a neutral color it's always sweated did he have a pocket before he got his guns or after never know um no man he's he's great in this i've i've loved him since obviously the tutors the tutors we're seeing him in man of steel and then i thought well this guy should have been bond uh, when I saw Man from Uncle, um, by the way, he was in the running, uh, mm-hmm. but they he said was. he was he was too young. He was, I think, twenty two at the time when they cast Daniel Craig. I th- I think but Daniel he was in the Craig running. Was a good choice. So. Yeah, but like you've seen Man from Uncle, right? He is Bond. He's like, he's, he he's is. what he's what Pierce Brosnan should have been. Well, you know, they're they are on the hunt for a new Bond, so who knows? Who's he's too say? old now. He's too old now. They want they want early thirties. Who's to say? Well, yeah, who's to he say? Could, yeah, he I mean, pass. Anywho, uh, you he know who came is... past for early thirties? Me. <laughs> True. Um, you're just gray. <laughs> like just so pale, so, so pale. Uh, no, I absolutely uh loved his addition uh to the cast, and whereas Rebecca Ferguson was 
not necessarily a foil, but like she was kind of like a femme fatale. Um, in this, he is straight up like a he, she is straight up a femme fatale, by the way, because mm-hmm. she crosses him even in this movie. Uh, no, that was in the last one. Sorry, crosses him in the last one. Cavill is like, what is the opposite of Ethan, but like a really good, uh, you know, member of the CIA? Like, what is by the book, um, you know, gigantic man? Like, they don't straight up say like he's as tall as him. No, 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 he is not. <laughs> This isn't one of those. Let's put uh, Tom Cruise on a uh, you know a, a milk Box. carton. Yeah, <laughs> this is. Uh, it's only six like, one. Who? Um, yeah, they're saying yeah. Tom Cruise is five seven. Hmm. Henry Cavill looks, are not. in this movie. In this movie, Henry Cavill looks like he's nine five. He Easily, is a giant. He's a frost movie. giant from Thor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's he's from Jotunheim. Uh, but yeah, no, I I mean, he was such a good. I, it sucks that he dies in this. Is yeah, like, it is. He would have yeah, made a does. better villain than seeing more lane. I would have loved, loved for him to like take over. Yeah, let him live and like just have the scarred up face for the next one. He'd be a straight up so villain. I, I feel like Bond in the, villain. yeah, I feel like in a lot of ways he took. The, he took the the thunder from Lane. Took the hook and that's to hard the face. to do. Yeah, took oh, the hook, he took, he took take the hook, hook to the face. Oh, hook ski to the jaw. Uh, by jaw, I mean middle of his forehead. Uh, you know what this movie also proved to me about Henry Cavill is <clears throat> we need to see him in more roles where he's not supernatural. He's so good in this. I'm just like, like you said, he's could have been supernatural Bond. being himself. He yes. is. No, no, no. You know, just, not Superman. You just to a out, of, out of fantasy, out of like the fantasy, out of the fantasy realm. sci-fi. Realm. I, I would like see, to see him in. I want to see him other in a stuff. comedy. I want to see him in a comedy. I think it'd be great. He's yeah. so good. Yeah, I just like to Absolutely. see him. Like, I would like to see him in other stuff. I think he should be in more things that is not franchise oriented. Let's just go with that. That's what I'm trying to say. So let's let's move on, guys. Um, how does everyone feel about this being the first Mission Impossible, which is a legit narrative sequel to the movie before it, but also pulling in, you know, aspects of the other films? For example, the White Wolf being Max's daughter. Of course, Max was played by Vanessa Redgrave in the first film back in 96. We bring back Julia, obviously, from Mission Impossible 3 and parts of Mission Impossible 4. Like, there is a lot in here that is... And of course, Lane and Ilsa's storyline are still continuing. We still have uh, Hunley is still is the first like see like IMF heavy who was who was carried over. So how do you guys feel that this was the first like direct sequel within the Mission Impossible uh, universe? Uh, Al, it seems like Macquarie is doing not Macquarie. only Macquarie. He's how doing... dare you say his name correctly? I know. I'm trying. I'm trying to steal Macquarie. <laughs> what he seems like he's doing with his films is making one long kind of like epic, right? It's it does it doesn't feel like the fast Episodic. films in that <laughs> in the in the sense that like these really feel I get like it they're, they're happening amount of time. It feels like these these events are happening so close together, and yeah. it really feels like one continuous story. I mean, it it is consistently from four on, and now you're going to say probably five through eight. This franchise gets better and better and better with each edition. Which is wild to say. Nuts. There's no franchise that is going to stretch. So he's going to have four total movies. If he nails it with part one and part two, and by the looks of it, I mean, he's 
probably going to do it. I don't know one director who has constantly outdid himself like that with a franchise before. Like, that's insane. But yeah, and, and also think about this: like the franchise is going to be by the time Dead Reckoning Part Two airs, it will almost this this franchise will almost be thirty years old. Yeah, and for it to get better on the tail end, yeah, outside of like Bond, really, like this, yeah, it it doesn't but really happen. Look, look at the Daniel Craig Bonds. Yeah, it's yeah, literally I mean. he went two for four or two for five. What was it? He it's, went uh, he three three for five. Three. I thought he did. Yeah. Three. Yeah. No. 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 He had five. Oh, Craig did five. Two. He had two good movies out of the five. Yeah. I would say no, three. I, I think. I'm gonna I say three. Thought, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna say um, Casino Royale. Yeah. Not Quantum of Solace. Um, Mas- Sky Skyfall. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, not. Yeah. Not Spectre. And uh, No Time to Die. Yes. I forgot that movie existed. So well, it came on. out during quarantine. So I'm let's not move on. Anyone for that? Yeah. So we did a whole I, podcast on it, by the way. But you're <laughs> just saying, like the tail end of those Bond movies, like those are five movies, and you even said it, three out of those five, and it's like literally every other one. This is like a great series of television where we're seeing it get better and better and better. It's Breaking Bad. It's Parks and Rec. Like these, these are shows that not literally Lord got better, Rings, yeah. got no, better yeah. over time. <laughs> Not Game of Thrones is what I meant to say. Or Game of Thrones. Yeah. 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 So uh, it's incredible and impressive. And it's, I think people are going to study this of like, how the hell did he fucking do this? By making Tom Cruise do insane shit. Um, He makes him do insane shit. No one makes him do anything. Exactly. He he just sets the table. He's like, here you go, Tom. I made it just the way I like it. Uh, Ben, how do you feel about this being a direct narrative sequel? Uh, to uh, Rogue Nation. Yeah, I mean, it's cool because so many molds are broken with this one. You get the same director, you know, McDonald is coming back. Yes, <laughs> so, I, you took that. I was on our next one. <laughs> I was trying to think of what, what I was going to reference him as. Uh, then you get the same villain. Um, I don't think it's something that they had to do, but I think it works really well, just picking things up two years later. And typically, if you're going to bring back, um, you know, a villain, you're going to have that villain, like, break out of jail or prison or something, but in a very fun way, in a well-written way, they actually had to make Ethan be the one that has to break the guy out that he put away. So it's just really cool. And and I love, I mean, the writing, you can say like as much about the directing a piece with this, but like the writing of all this is really good. Um, I think, and more so than it just being a direct sequel to Rogue Nation, like you talked about, it calls back so much stuff. Um, starting with like, for me, the the opening of this one where they trick the scientist into thinking that he's in the hospital is a callback to like the very first movie, how that one opened, which I loved. Um, and the other stuff you mentioned about it, the other characters, but also, you know, he does have to rock climb at the very end. To yes, yes, the yes, button. yes. My two callback. Let's go, baby. So, uh, which yeah. I think is the best MI2 callback you could have because yes. that's the one scene everyone remembers because it was the most publicized scene. If only they could have had him like backwards hanging when he's pressing like the remote thing out of him. So dope. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it brings back everything. It's just like a perfect, well written blend. You could tell that, you know, what do we want to call McCoy this time, but uh, that he loves this series and wanted to try to touch on as much stuff as he could and, and bring back all little nuances, especially with the, you know, like you were talking about with the, the paradox piece with Max being like one of the best characters from the first Mission Impossible movie, um, keeping that tie in too. So, so much cool stuff. So many tidbits that I probably didn't even pick up on. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the rock climbing part. Cause I saw that and watched that part in work. I was like, Holy shit. They really called back on high too. Oh my God. 
Uh, luckily, there wasn't a dove that flown by or would have thrown up. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Uh, I'm going to rewatch it and see if there's just one like in nope, the mountainside. I, no, no we, I watched yes. it like seven hours ago. There actually were uh, doves that they had to CGI them out because they were like, fuck no. It's like John Woo just sitting there on the side of the mountain. He's like, royalties for me. Um, uh, Amanda, how do you feel this about being a sequel? A true I, sequel? I really enjoyed it because it's a brilliant change of pace in the series like it's something you don't expect and it makes the movie it makes this it makes this intriguing because again it's a completely different it's not what we're used to we're used to very different narratives and so right off the bat it's like oh oh wow this is a sequel okay like it it piques your curiosity in a whole different way in a very subtle way so I thought it was brilliant um and again even the, the callbacks I think I think that was that's just that was great fan service for for us who've been with the franchise pretty much the whole way through and who stuck with it um you know didn't get lost thanks to MI2 uh you know it 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 was again I just I think it's I think it's brilliant I think it's it's it played to the right amount of nostalgia and it reminded everybody that yes while this is a direct sequel and that there is an immediate story we are telling this is still part of an overall franchise. And if, and if you hadn't seen, you know, the, the rest of the movies before, if you just happened to be there, it kind of made you go, oh, okay, you know, there's an Easter egg there. All right. So what's, what's this about? It maybe made you go back and watch some of the other movies or made you kind of, you know, I think, I think it was just a, a really well done movie for everybody, whether you were a longtime fan or somebody who just happened to watch it. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it was brilliant. Again, it's just a very, very unique change of pace unexpected and it piqued your curiosity in a very natural way that you don't you don't even catch yourself you know it, it was great i i you know it's ironic that we were talking just talking about james bond because bond was kind of doing the same thing at the same time like concurrently where they were weaving an overarching story and like some of it some of it was a little more in you know Tra- you know apparent than other parts like there was like thinly tied they can thinly tie them together but this was purely right there and it works perfectly because we didn't really have it it was always ethan hunt changing team members changing villains he just was ethan hunt in the imf just like it was james bond for majesty secret service and then we put together an emotional storyline and uh, what i think McHugh did wonderfully here was he took the original uh, source material from the first from rogue nation and married it perfectly into this new stuff which is we see that happen so little in sequels where it's just like, let's crowbar the old stuff in and it's just a car crash. We'll get into car crashes in a second, but uh, it's it, it just it's always a mess. But it feels like uh, he had a, um, I'm not even saying his name, but just saying, no. noise. I'm just making noises at this point. It's just him and some vowel sounds. Exactly. It's just this, it seems like there was a plan here. There was a, like this is the story we're going to tell, not like oh this did good, let's figure out what to do now and retrofit stuff into it. And I think works perfectly there. Speaking of car crashes, it, it this movie is famous because Tom Cruise broke his damn ankle uh, during one of the moments in the during this film. Every time the uh, movies come out, we have just it's just here's the bonker shit Tom Cruise has done. Is it, it are these movies like? Uh, do we watch them because we're like, wow, here's this new fantastical thing. Or we're just like, can we pinpoint the moment where he almost dies? Like, what is it about this? It's just like, I feel like it's like, I feel bad watching it sometimes because I'm like, he just keeps doing this crazy shit. That's going to get him killed. Like, is this 
are we watching a train wreck or do we generally enjoy the bonkers action of it? Al, I'm going to start with you. I think it's both. I think we genuinely enjoy that this, how old is he now? He's, he's 60, right? He's in his late yeah. 50s, if not 60. He's actually 60 years old right now. Yeah. So we're watching this 60-year-old robot at this point perform. He's a cybernetic organism. These, <laughs> these death-defying stunts, but not only that, like each film, he's stepping it up. Yeah. To a degree that it doesn't make sense. Like, and you're seeing him do these stunts. It's not like we're really going to fake it. No, no, no. He's doing them which is bonkers. Uh, so it's more, it's both a curiosity of like wanting to see if this guy is going to die. And then on top of that, just being absolutely blown away by everything he does. It's really something to behold. For me, it's the cinematic. It's how <laughs> directs everything. How he just and how his cinematography is. It's Anyone just, listening to this is like, what the fuck is he saying? Does it's Macquarie. It's, yeah, <laughs> actually, no, very dry right now. Uh, uh, but as what Macquarie and his team do here and how they shoot everything is just like they're finding new ways to take our breath away, not just in what he's doing. Like you would think the height of this series would be the Dubai Hotel, right? It's just how can you top that? He drives a motorcycle off a goddamn mountain in this one. Next one. That's how he tops it. Like that's and then and then like hang glides with a suit of some sort. It's ins- it's batshit so insanity. So so he did I don't know. I know he did the Super Bowl thing where he thanked everyone and jumped out of a plane. Yeah. No, the whatever that the jump is called in this one. The halo jump. I know he did the halo jump. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. I know they, they had added train in the like cl- forever. They had to add in the clouds and stuff. Like, that's CGI, but, like, everything else is, like, he did it. Did he also do the plain rope sequence? Honestly, I think that might be the the most, like, the feeling I felt watching Ghost Protocol and him hanging off the tallest building in the world. I never felt that again until he's climbing up a rope, trying to get into the helicopter, gets all the way to the top and falls. And I was like, oh, my God, he's dead. Did he? I want to know. Like, does anyone know if he did that stunt? Like, I, I want to know. That, up. that is impressive and scary. And I might be. It might. I think I. I like my heart dropped more than the uh, than the ghost particle scene. How about you guys, man? Benny, you want to weigh in on this and how with the Tom Cruise of it all and his just upping the ante on pushing himself physically? I mean, I I feel like it's part of the mythos of Mission Impossible at this point, I think because he has such an interest and a passion, you can, and I think this was so intriguing when he does his own stunts is he genuinely, it's not like, oh my God, they put me to, they made me do this. It's like, you can tell there's some part of it, part of it that's him wanting to do it and take these risks. And I think that's what makes it so exciting is it's not something he's being forced to do. It's something that he's willingly doing and that he's, passionate about i mean him flying a helicopter that whole thing was like oh you know i'm like who who gets behind a helicopter and you've not done it before and then you have to do like the 360 spin all those kinds of things i mean obviously he's done a whole lot more crazier stuff but i think it's intriguing to see that somebody that you know like an actor would actually you don't see that anymore where a lot of actors do their own stunts to that degree yeah. um that's almost like a i feel like a very old throwback 
you know, to a lot of other action movies where you did have more of the stars do more of their own work at that point. I mean, like even some of the martial arts movies, you watch Bruce Lee movies or whatnot, you know, Chuck Norris. I mean, you have, you have people that seems very like old school to do, to do your stunts, to do your fighting, your hand-to-hand combat, all those things. And you don't have that anymore. There is nobody else who's doing stunts to the level that Tom Cruise is. And I think that's such a old school thing that it's something we, we, we take, I think in the beginning we took for granted. And now that we don't have that anymore, it's more compelling and exciting to people. Well, because when he, yeah, because remember when he first started this, it was 1995 when he filmed it. And that's when people were still doing it. And now I think studios are like, we really don't want to risk injury on people that's why the rock yeah, does not exactly wrestle anymore same with john and same with john cena like yeah. it's it's built into their contracts now with somebody who could who has the physical capability to do their own stunts and do these things it's in their contracts now i mean you don't have that old school he gives you that old school action vibe action star vibe that you don't have anymore and it's it's a, i think it's a mix of intrigue because of how hard is hard is he going to push it fear Cause you're like, Oh my God, he's really pushing it. But also again, just that nostalgia that like, he really is the last action hero he is. in a lot of ways. And that's why I like to keep watching because the story, not only is the, the, the storytelling for, for continuing to get better, but you have the last action hero doing his thing too. Not Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, oh. uh, ben, you, you just put up in the, ch- the group chat that yes, he did in fact do that rope stunt. With the yeah, he did the rope stunt. And apparently like they said that that was the one where he was in the most peril. So that was much harder than doing the halo jump and stuff like that, which is insane. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you were talking about 95, like going back, I remember I did read that, uh, like he wasn't originally supposed to do the running away from the fish tank explosion water thing. They were going to have a stunt man do it, but they didn't like the way that it was looking. So he decided to do it himself, which and I guess is he like never looked tame. back. Yeah, Which that's is like so tame. small compared. Like, imagine like if you told him, like, all right, so you're gonna do this one. I mean, but later <laughs> you're gonna be doing all this other crazy stuff. Uh, so I guess he got a little taste of it and then just went for it. But yeah, I mean, the thing with like, I know he's been injured like a lot, like not just this time, but I think he's he's gotten injured probably doing a lot of stunts. Um, Top Gun, he does his own you know, lot in Top Gun. Yeah, so I mean, but even like on the Mission Impossible movies, I think he's been hurt like several times, like in minor ways, nothing big. I could see that continuing to happen. Like, I don't know how long you know, maybe he's done after like these two, but. Um, I don't, I don't, for some reason, ever think that he would get killed doing it because he's just so meticulous and calculated yeah. and perfectionist about everything. And like it would have to be some crazy freak accident versus like something that they didn't plan for. Um, and, I mean, he just wouldn't want to shut down production. He'd be more pissed that like the movie didn't come out than it would be that he died. So like, that is very I, true. I mean, that's how true. I would view it. So I, I didn't think that that would happen. I don't know. If, was it your, it might've been this podcast I was listening to, or maybe even something else to listen to, but they were comparing him to like Jackie Chan. It was like he's just doing all of his own stuff and getting hurt all the time. But uh, yeah, yeah that's, don't, that's, I don't sounds like a good podcast. That does. <laughs> but there was something that I read or like listened to where it was like, yes. I used to love watching all the uh, the Jackie Chan outtakes at the end of oh, those sure. movies where like, yes. he's injured. So I'd like to see that same thing for like Tom Cruise doing his own stunt and falling or whatever. I feel like he would to be so mad at the end of every single one. He was like, God damn it. Yeah. Back to rib. Let's go good. <laughs> you know, and, and it would not like be funny. Bleeding. <laughs> like, it's like, Dude, you're gushing blood from your eyes. Stop. <laughs> All right, guys, let's get into our segments. Uh, well, of course, our first one is it's Ethan Hunt, darling. You remember him. Uh, for the last time, let's just talk about the Ilse. Uh, and once again, Ilsa Faust is back. But we complicate things here with Julia 
back in there and we we find out more about what happened in their relationship uh mostly through exposition dumps with luther how did you guys feel about ethan kind of being in this very vague love triangle where he has his past he's having about with julia and his his future with elsa Amanda, i'm going to start with you i feel like it was a, a more of a growth moment for ethan it was let's move him out of let's get him away from the fran from the kind of the the original direction of the franchise if you will and kind of the awkward leading man to um you know again being with someone who again is more of his equal and who can and again teasing it and just i think because with tom cruise he just has awkward chemistry with most people and you know now you have somebody who can potentially give him that and it's it's in rebecca ferguson and yet you know, it's not overdone, it's not overplayed. And I feel like for Ethan's character to grow and go in the direction they need him to go, that it looks like he's going in these movies, he needs to let go of his past. He needs to let go of Julia and let go of that guilt. That's been a storyline that's been going on a while. And it's okay, well, we're gonna bring it to resolution. And I'm happy that they did. Like, you know, she's got her happy ending. Obviously they still love each other very much. Just didn't work out for many reasons. And I think it, 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 gave a nice maybe realistic ending because again a lot of relationships you can you have people that love each other they just can't be together and and it's kind of dramatic obviously she's out there in the middle of nowhere and they happen to fall into this camp where she's at you know i mean obviously it's planned by lane but but you still get that closure and it was it's needed for ethan to evolve into the next the i would say that the big arc the peak of his character development. It's let go of the past. Let's see where we go in the future with somebody who can potentially handle it. Although who knows where they're going to go with Dead Reckoning here and what Haley's character is going to bring to the table. But um, it it by freeing him from the past, it allows for some very intriguing future options, and it makes Ethan a little bit more interesting and less flat as a romantic character. I'll I'll. Um... I'll raise the stakes on what you just said. I think it makes him less flat as a character in general. Yeah. I think him, and I think the this is Luther's best work with Ving Rhames' best work because he has the two scenes with both women. He says, I'm going to tell you about the two women he had, he's cared about the most. One of them is his wife or the other. And then it's like, the other is you. And he explains the whole story of what happened with Julia and how she knew she felt guilty she was keeping him from saving the world and he felt guilty he wasn't saving the world and that's like a really it, it adds depth to ethan hunt not just like he's a guy who runs real fast and With you know a very straight back such a straight back that guy's spine is like he is a robot he is a robot synthetic organism um but I think that adds so much to it. And I think giving the closure with Julia also uh, and giving him the nightmares with Julia, because I think really just humanizes Ethan Hunt and, and the ways like he's in the helicopter being like, son of a bitch, I don't know how to fly a helicopter. Like, I think that makes him, it's also funny, but it's also just, it, it, it takes him, the what we loved about, again, making the James Bond comparison is just like what we loved about Daniel Craig's James Bond. He was more of a person in more emotion. He was not just, you know, shoot him up have sex with women and a couple jokes and that's it like and they they made ethan hunt more than just this last action hero they made him a human being like you know he was just what every one of the 90s was it was just he's just an action hero but now he's more of a well fleshed out uh character as well ben your thoughts on uh the romantic arc for our uh, young ethan hawk 
Oh, Ethan Hawk. God Ethan damn it. Hawk. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yes, he's Ethan Hawk. Fucking everyone's name up today. Before sunset. I know. I know. Uh, he's it was before sunset. Um Ethan Hunt. Young Ethan Hunt. How do you eat? You remember him? <laughs> Darling. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, well, well, first of all, the dream sequence is Tom Cruise is really good at like waking up in a panic. He has to do it twice in this movie. I think he did it like in the first so mission possible. <laughs> they never show like they never show Ethan Hunt like uh wake up peacefully from a nap or anything so it's uh it's good to see you get some sleep um i like that they did the closure piece of this you know with julia and not not usually much for like a big exhibition th- uh, exposition in the middle but they did it really well and i was kind of wondering like they need to explain that bit more so than they had with the previous movie when they tried to talk about it in ghost protocol so it was nice to see her come back um and then i like that they still kept it kind of ambiguous in terms of you know the relationship that he has right now like the only he doesn't make out with her the only kiss that he has is with the widow which was forced upon him uh but uh they still haven't like crossed like that complete romantic line even though you know that it's there and the only thing i would want to know is what is it that um that she says to julie at the end because she kind of whispers in her ear and they show that so i'm kind of curious what it was that she says at the end of the movie I'm going to have sex with your ex-husband. <laughs> I hope that's okay. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but, I, I don't think she well, asked permission. Else is, she didn't ask permission. Else is that a permission asker? <laughs> She's like, it's mine now. He's mine now. <laughs> I'll take it from here. That's probably what it was. I think probably. that's, I honestly, that's what I thought. You know, I honestly think she was like, I'll take it from here. And she's yeah. like, good. Wes Bentley is in the other 10. I'm going to get out of here. Uh, Al, what did you think about uh, the romantic journey of young Ethan Hunt. I don't know if there is one. It's so confusing because I having having Michelle Monaghan come back. But by, by the way, did we just skip over that that straight up was not her in uh in Band of Ghost Protocol when she's walking? That's not her, the actress, right? Like Michelle Monaghan. We do what? see her face at one point. Yeah, she's yeah. there. Right? Yeah, I, that must have been like a, a fill in green screen thing. Like they must have been like, can you film this real quick, like on your iPhone? Because please go back and watch that and tell me that that is the same actress. I'm pretty confident it is. I'm like, now I'm going to go. Pretty sure it is, dude. How high are you right now? (laughs) Good question. I know the answer. Plenty. But check, but check, check on that. So um, I don't need to. I know it's the same actress. It's not, it's not her. That'd be such a weird choice for Mission Impossible to just not have her. It's her. her. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's in her IMDb credits. It's not her. So it's uh, Katie Holmes. It's I'm, oh, I'm gonna, Jesus. I'm what a gonna, terrible oh, joke! Oh, I didn't even think of it. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, sorry. No. <laughs> um, sorry, off track. I I think having her come back was great for like living up to the title and the threat of laying like the fallout. Like she is the fallout. She he brought her into this life and thought that she could just be safe, and like that's not true, and like that it really seals the deal to make this movie just like truly epic. But in regards to the actual like love triangle or love story, it's like, unless Ethan dies and that is legitimately the way that this is going to end. I don't know if he can be with anyone again or find happiness. Cause like at the, I, I, I love the part in this movie and the chemistry between him and Rebecca Ferguson, really great uh, continuing from this movie. But he, she says the line, he's like, you should you should have ran away with me. Uh, to something to that effect of like you you should have you should have went with me yeah. and he can't he he this is the job so I, I as much as I want to see his um him continue to grow I don't know if we're gonna get that unless it's like 
immediately before he dies. That's it's interesting. Just, it's interesting. Think about it. I'm also just really annoyed about the Michelle Monaghan thing because I know it was her, but now Not, I'm looking it up. She's uncredited, but it's on yes. her IMDb as uncredited. It's on her I, yeah. Again, <laughs> when you see her, that was her filming it on like a uh, a Motorola Razor or whatever they had in 2014. No, on a Palm Pilot. It still <laughs> no, 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 but I'm, but I'm telling you, the wide shot. It was her, it was her Blackberry. The wide shot of the nurses walking, that is okay. not her. Okay. They might have had to stand in at a distance, maybe, but they did show her face on the movie. Yeah, it not did. her. It was me, actually. It's hilarious. Uh, uh, all right, moving on from that. Uh, it's time for Red Light, Green Light, where we talk about our favorite moment of this film. This is a tough, another tough one, guys. Um, Amanda, what is your, I mean, it's Henry Cavill, but it's, mm. what is your favorite part of this, this film? This is cheesy, but this is because I love action so much. It's the whole helicopter fight scene, just where they throw down. I love how that, it was nasty. It was fun. It was, you know, full of thrills. You it had was the little, two hours long. Yeah, I'm was. not going to argue. I was like, I was like, you know, watching again, you know, Henry Cavill, he's a big dude. Like he's dwarfing, dwarfing Ethan Hunt. And I mean, just to see Ethan fighting for survival. I mean, it, it, it was very raw. Um, and just, it was, you know, again, just the whole, even from the moment of just messing with the helicopters and like, how did you guys survive this? Um, and still have the energy to fight each other. It's just, it, it's cheesy. It's fun, but that's what it, that's what makes it an action movie. It's just with action movies, it's the impossible happens. And it's just, and it's, 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 you know, realistically, you're like, that's totally out of the realm of possibility, but yet it's fun watching it happen because you just want it to happen. So I, I really, really enjoyed that part because it's a good action movie throwback overall for me. For me, it is the outing of Walker as John Lark. That was good too. They they have Benji in a mask, and then we have cross turn after turn after turn. So many turns in here. Alec Baldwin tries to save the day. Just, Just chewing on the scenery. Oh, love it. And you know. And then he gets, then he gets murdered, and it's great. It, it's everything about that unexpected. Scene. That was really, unexpected. It was. And again, just like Ghost Protocol. I mean, sorry, yeah, the Rogue Nation. I should say, we bite on the big twists like that, and there weren't weren't as many big plot twists in this one, but this one was a really really good one. Um, Al, what's your uh, what's your red light green light? I I mean, I already mentioned the the helicopter one. So I won't do that again. Um, it has to be the uh, the chase scene between uh, Ethan and um, Elsa. That was That's awesome. Great. It was that great. Was great. And it was in Paris. And that was really, really well done. We get to see that awesome, yet somewhat too CGI-y stunt where he uh, hits the little guardrail thing. He flies off the motorcycle. Yeah, it is a little CGI. Yeah. A little wonky. I think I, I know what they were trying to get like, like, We've never seen this happen before. Let's do it in this angle. But it's a little too uh also probably where he broke his ankle. No, uh, he broke his ankle doing the, the roof jump. jump. Roof yeah. jump. It was oh. a jump. You see it. That's the take. That's the take. He, yeah, he still gets up and like runs away yes. with his broken ankle. He's, he's, yes. he's limping. Yeah. 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 
Uh, ben, red light, green light. Yes, I was going to do the helicopter thing. So the only thing I'll say about that was I love as he climbs up the rope that I was talking about. And as soon as he like gets there, the guys just look at him and they have the Indiana Jones, like same type of moment where they're like, how the fuck did you get in here? And then they start fighting, he throws him (laughs) out, which is great. Um, But so if not that scene, I do love his running sequence where he like runs for like five or six minutes. Uh, just full sprint and you know Simon Pegg's trying to walk him through it you know as Benji on the computer keeps like messing up like oh I had the screen lock on or like I had it in 2D instead of 3D and then he's got that part where he's trying to he's like pausing at the window and he's like why are you slowing down he's like I'm about to jump out of a window yeah it was really <laughs> it's like what are you doing all the office people are looking at him but that whole sequence was was so much fun to watch and you wouldn't think watching you know Tom Cruise run for five or six minutes would be sustainable but it, it definitely was so beautifully cool. shot so Best good. cardio in the How game. How many miles does he run? Thirty. In these, in all of the movies? No, no, no. I thought you meant a day. Oh no. I would Easily, love to. He would probably runs stuff. like thirty miles a day. He's been it's insane. How many minutes has he been dead for? Because he was he died for a few minutes in three, and then he died for a few in the last movie. So you should count up like that. Well, how many miles still the runs. best cardio in the game i'm just now, his saying. heart was brought back twice so he's good there was a, a theory well it was a funny theory but like every time he dies he comes back with like a new skill because you know it's like his artistry gets like better and better he's really good at sketches all of a sudden and then he has like a photographic memory that you you know he memorizes the whole That's bank how he thing. Up. <laughs> it's like he just comes back with these new skills every time <laughs> he's got a lot of xp that he cashes in it's really good that's for all you all you RPG players out there. We got you. All right, guys. It's time for toast. It's time for the thing you didn't like about this film. For me, I, I thought the one character they didn't capitalize on enough was the White Widow. I like Vanessa Kirby as an actress a lot. If you watch Hobbs and Shaw, yeah, the one Fast and Furious movie I saw. Uh, that was that was a lot of fun. She's really fun in that. And she has an interesting character as Max's as Max's daughter, but then she just kind of gets dropped midway through the movie. She has that weird kiss with Ethan, and then she wants Ilsa, and then she's just kind of extracted from the film until the end, where we kind of bring her back. Is we just they just kind of talk her off? Oh yeah, she just happens to be an American. Turn you know she's working for the CIA, and it's like okay, like that was a way interesting character. I'm very happy she's back in the second and Dead Reckoning Part One. So maybe we're going to uh, we I think we have three major female characters in that. We also have Pom oh four, and we have Pom Clemente from Guardians will be in that as well as a villain. Uh, so I'm interested to see what they're going to do with her. But the White Widow character, if there's anything I'm going to talk about, that whole thing kind of just like was really big part of the movie and then stopped being the thing. Amanda Toast, you stole mine because Yay. Vanessa Kirby, I love her. I love her in The Crown. Um, she was amazing. She was Princess Margaret in the crown. I love For someone her. who hates European aristocracy, you're dropping a lot no, of tutors. I actually really crown. like tutors. I like kind of the the you know the setting up on the English monarchy. It's very fascinating. Um, but yeah, I loved her in the crown. She was brilliant. And seeing her in this, I you know, my only hope because I I I agree, Bill. I didn't like how she was kind of just written off with a whimper. It was like, it was kind of a very lazy explanation. And I'm like, unless my only saving grace is unless there's something bigger planned in Dead Reckoning for her, that there's some kind of bigger, yeah, some kind of bigger fallout. There's there's more of a long-term story being told here about her character. Um, it would have to be a good payoff for them to just kind of write her off. Maybe she's the next big baddie. Maybe like, you know, there's, there's, 
there's there's going to be more to her for sure. I feel like for sure. Um, this was just a tease. That's what I'm looking for. It's here's a tease. If you're intrigued by this character, she's going to show up the next film. So if if I had to be really picky about anything, I'm with you, Bill. I needed more Vanessa Kirby because she was amazing. All right, Ben, give me your toast. So like two like relatively small things. One I think might have been forced upon them maybe when Jeremy Renner wasn't back in the movie because um, mm-hmm. I didn't really. It didn't make sense to me that Hunley was out in the field, like on the op, like at that one point, like why he would meet them there. It just, you never would see like the secretary of like the IMF or whatever, just out there, like running yeah. up and being a part of it, which ultimately ends in him getting killed. So I don't know if maybe Renner, if he was still back as Brandt in this one would have been the guy that was out there kind of doing that piece. And maybe they would have handled it differently. I don't know if they would have killed him off too, but that seemed a little out of place for me. Um, and then also I think they underutilized uh, uh, Angela Bassett, like for as director Sloan, like, she really just kind of came in to mess up the works like twice. And that was pretty much her only piece of it. They didn't do much else with her. So, um, and I don't think she's back for the future one either. So maybe they got a new director of the CIA. Now they just keep swapping those people out. Ben, I'm sorry. Great. As always, Al, your toast, close us out. Mine's going to be super quick and I'm surprised it hasn't been mentioned yet, but they, uh, uh, put luther as a hostage twice in this movie yes yeah it's, the, like, it's honestly the biggest nitpick for me uh, he's slow he's a big he's he's like hard you know he's he shouldn't physically be in the field if he's not yes. equipped to be in the field like they make mention of of benji being a field agent in the, the yeah. last one like like you wanted this like this is it like and he knows that he knows the risks he gets his ass kicked by lane which i, I never really understood uh, as well like lane is like an incredible fighter yeah i mean he would be yeah he's old as shit he's so ethan hunt who no. established this <laughs> ethan hunt's a robot we've talked about this uh he's a cybernetic yeah. organism very experienced operative yeah it was the luther thing for me yeah i i hear you all right guys let's close out this fantastic mini series where we're going to rate this uh this film on one to ten discarded benji masks uh for me it's a 10. This is the best one. I, I forgot, you know, I saw this in theaters and then watching the watching this again. I don't think I had really watched it all the way through until this time. So it's about five years. And man, this this is all action, but yet still has a really great heart, still has a lot of emotion, has amazing uh, cinematography. I mean, the whole Ilsa ethan thing within the trees and how they're matching movement it's it's all fantastic this is a great movie i don't know how they're going to top it in dead reckoning part one but we're going to find out al how many benji masks are you throwing at this one? Oh, i was going to tra- uh, change this to one to ten uh motherfucking hooks to the face <laughs> Ooh, i'm still giving yes. it a 10 i'm still giving it a 10 <laughs> yeah i just said 10 man this movie is insanely good there is a moment in the film it's it's the end of the of of the the walker like betrayal right the reveal the tail end of that like when he's coming up the elevator and like he's climbing the building and all this shit there's an hour left after that i know movie's amazing like (laughs) it's insane how bloated this movie is to the point where like dead reckoning is it's longer Part one, it's like three hours, right? It's like three plus hours or something. I have no idea. I think they they announced the the runtime. Inject it into my veins. Like, I can't get enough of this. Can't get enough. 10 out of 10. Uh, Amanda, how many motherfucking hooks to the face are you giving this one? Oh, it's a 10. It's a 10. You have an, an obviously awesome elevated story. 
you have, you know, my king of the nerds in the super small clothing that again, great advertising, but he was great. He wasn't just a pretty face. He legit had a part. He nailed it. He was your baddie. And I mean, you had, again, a strong female lead. You had the fun nostalgia elements. I mean, there, there's very little, if anything, I don't know if there's anything. Again, I'm just being picky. I mean, that, that tells yeah. you if you want more Vanessa Kirby, that's how good the casting is. Um, you know, everything was elevated in this movie. And I'm here for it. I'm ready for Dead Reckoning because I'm like, this was really good. This has been my favorite in the franchise so far. I can't even imagine how good Dead Reckoning is. Although I will miss Henry Cavill in those tight shirts. That's all. Ben, close to sound. How many motherfucking hooks to the face is this one getting? Nine and a half hooks to the face. I just got to leave a little bit of room to grow because I can't wait to see what they do with Dead Reckoning. But yeah, practically a perfect movie. Um, Very little that I could you know, say negative about it. It's just breakneck speed. All these movies are fast. Like Mission Impossible is known for just being all time go all the time. But um, but this one just has so few slow moments. <laughs> like it's it like you're talking about it could run two and a half hours and it doesn't feel like it at all. Let that 15 minute timer go for 45 minutes. It's perfectly fine. All right, guys, that brings us to the end. Of course, next week we stay in the spy game with Secret Invasion. Guys, let's close it out real quick. With our social media plugs, Ben, tell us about where they can find you on the internet. Tell us where about your stories coming up for Pop Break and all that. Yeah, so uh, at BD Murkison on Instagram and Twitter and follow the Star Wars dog of mine at TK42Woof on Instagram as well. Great content. <laughs> um and then yeah i'm gonna be writing so class of 09 finally i'm just gonna wait for the series to be over i'm really sure. loving it um and then i'm gonna do a review on that and then i'll have uh jack ryan's final season review coming out um, as soon as i'm able to release that too so those two should be coming up pretty soon and uh i'm sure you'll be writing about warrior as well when you're oh yes shows. absolutely warrior if i'm doing a pop <laughs> recommendation go back and watch the first two seasons of that before the third season drops on hbo max thank you bill for that reminder uh amanda where can people find you online you know we now know you're the newest cast member in daredevil since you and charlie cox are now best friends yes Uh, tell us tell us (laughs) tell us where people can find you online um so i am at amanda lorian on instagram right now i'm pretty much just showing lots of love for every all the awesomeness at fan expo dallas um you had a great time over there living my best nerd life with the clone wars cast Hayden, my new best friend, Charlie Cox, call me, um, (laughs) like get on this podcast. We would love you, Charlie, please come back. Um, uh, and just, you know, uh, just living my best nerd life. And then also I'm on Twitter, uh, at Resner's Chick, because Nine Inch Nails Forever, R-E-Z-N-O-R-S-C-H-I-C, um, where I tweet about the randomness of, you know, again, all the pop culture things I love, Star Wars, Marvel. Um, I do a lot of supporting our our wrestler our wrestlers here at the the scene here in texas um so yeah so follow me check it out al where can people find all your photos and uh, what do you got coming up you can find me at al manorino on twitter where a photo that i took uh five years ago or whatever has gone viral again uh so check that out uh literally thousands and thousands of likes and retweets uh for a photo that i took years ago at a comic-con very strange uh you can find my uh photography work at al manorino on instagram i'm gonna be doing some country y'all this this month uh crazy i'm not a big country guy but i'm I'm covering a big country music festival uh for newjersey.com 
uh, called the Barefoot uh, Country yeah. Festival. City, um, yeah. No, this the well, I believe it's a Wildwood. Oh well, you know, same thing, I, different place. I'm gonna double check before I go tomorrow morning uh, to this Good. festival, and then uh, covering Luke Bryan uh, as well. My mom loves him. Couldn't tell you a song. I've seen him a few times. I haven't Any listened to country, country in a long time, but you know. But uh, yeah, I have so many questions. That, that's that's me for June. Uh, we'll we'll see. Hopefully, more things. A lot of things for the pop break going to be picking up. Uh, probably Beck and Phoenix. I'm I'm hoping. Oh, and you have three eleven from the Atlantic City Beer Festival. I have three eleven from the Atlantic nice. City Beer Festival going up uh, early next week on the popbreak.com with a uh, both a entertainment and beer uh, review from yep. uh, Mr. Ryan DeMarco and Lucas Jones. So yeah, so that's yeah. why it hasn't been sent over yet. Uh, as for me, at Bodkin writes on Twitter. Uh, not much in the writing department just yet. Uh, been a uh, busy few months, uh, but I do have a ton of podcasts. Uh, I just did Anchored at Asbury, which you can find on the Pop Break Today feed. I interviewed the guys from uh, Happy Mondays, Brian Erickson, Biff Swenson. Uh, next, early next week, I will have a second one with Pop Break's Angelo Gingerelli, where we talk about the comedy scene in Asbury Park, which I think is one of the best at Anchor and Asbury interviews we've ever done. It's a great uh, episode. I hope to check it out. Of course, I'm also the Bill and the Bill versus the MCU podcast. We just released our episode uh, catching up with the M- uh, MCU Phase 5. We talked about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and Ant-Man of the Wasp Quantum Mania. Hear about all the scenes that made me cry like a baby in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, that is on the Pop Break Today feed. Of course, I'm also in the TV Break podcast um find that over on pop break tv follow the pop break on instagram and twitter we have tons of uh shows coming up that we've shot we just did the set fest in la featuring lcd sound system al's 311 pictures we just shot shania twain in new jersey the photos are excellent uh we've got uh we just i believe today completed an interview with warren hayes of government mules so we have a great music section happening this summer lots of new voices on pop break lots of new diverse awesome young talented writers on the site that have just come on recently go check them out go support them they're all awesome so thank you for joining for this not so giant size annual version of of the breakcast i'm sorry not the breakcast i can't pronounce anything today i can't name anything right of socially distanced and we'll see you next week for super Peace.